0: Guys, we're going to get right to it this morning. Um, We finished our summer series last week. It was called Torn Veil. And we're looking, we're sort of zooming in on just a few seconds, the last few seconds of the life of Jesus as he prepared to breathe his last, die, on a Roman cross nearly 2,000 years ago. So we called it Torn Veil because in that moment when Jesus died, it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. And that that barrier, that divide that once separated us, humanity from God, our creator, was done away with, was removed so that we could step into the very presence of our creator and experience a relationship with God as Father, like Jesus. And uh, so we spent several weeks looking at how the cross And that torn veil affects like every aspect, every practical category of life imaginable from family stress, work, money, to politics, romance, uh, health, et cetera, et cetera. Today, I want to do a bit of a prelude to the series, call this just a a B-side, if you will, but I felt quite strongly as I was praying this week that there was a theme that I thought just simply needed to be emphasized. When we talk about the cross and all of these categories of life, what we're really talking about is the love of God applied to our lives and through our lives and and the daily stuff of life. God's love applied. Um, And so we're gonna go back to the cross one more time. Not really, we keep coming back to the cross. Um, It's a bit like the eclipse, really. Uh, No matter how much you tell yourself, you're not really bothered, because like everyone's super excited, so you're not really bothered. Yeah, you are, you're totally into it, I know you are. (laughs) You're just like me, don't deny it. (laughs) We're all weirdly obsessed with this event that's about to take place tomorrow. And so we're gonna come back to the cross once again because we really can't get away from it. Um, we're going to look at Luke's account. There's four gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all essentially tell the story of Jesus' life, his ministry, his teachings, his death, his resurrection from, from their personal angles as they walked with Jesus himself and as they experienced uh, the life and the teachings, and ultimately the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, we're going to look at Luke's account. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 49. So, we're going to look at a substantial chunk. You guys with me? Yeah. And it'll be up there as always. And if you need a Bible, by the way, please feel free anytime to help yourself to one of the Bibles sitting in the boxes in the, the aisle here. Um, those are for you guys to use if you need one. All right, Luke 23, starting verse 32. Jesus is now being led to his death, his execution on a Roman cross. And we're stepping right into the middle of this moment. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, that is, Jesus. since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion, that's the Roman soldier, saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. What a scene. What an intense Seen. Quite, uh, quite a crowd, quite a mix of people who came out to see the spectacle, to see this man who claimed or who, of whom people claimed this is the Messiah. This is the, the one who was promised at the very beginning the one who was to crush crush the head of the serpent with his own heel. This was the one to rescue God's people, to bring about redemption in a broken world. And now here he is, this so-called king, the chosen one, now hanging from a Roman cross, surrounded by a whole circus of onlookers. We're gonna go chalkboard today shock There it is. There's the cross. We had uh what we had the the criminals one on e- either side. Criminal number 1 The Rager, the Hater the one hurling insults, accusing Jesus. We had criminal two. On the other side, this guy, in a moment of sheer desperation, is actually looking for a shred of grace in his dying moment. You had, um, well, you had the The Pharisees and the soldiers, the mockers up here saying if you truly are who you claim to be, save yourself. You saved others, what, you can't save yourself? And of course, the mock sign nailed to the head of the cross. King of the Jews, ha, as if. You had uh, the onlookers simply standing by. Cell phones out, you know how we are. Could you imagine this to be the onlookers? Just, Just streaming away, getting it on, whatever kind of curious, probably a bit disgusted, thinking, I can't believe we're actually like watching this. But you can't look away. You had, uh, of course, who else? The women from Galilee. You had those sort of looking from a distance. You had the lot casters. Is that even legible? Can you guys even see this? It's fun for me. <laughs> These were the, um, the profiteers. These were the ones who were like, gosh, like, let's, we, could, we could actually divide up this dude's garments. It's a nice tunic. We could probably sell it for, for a bit of something. These would be the ones in the crowd, you know, selling T-shirts, distributing stickers, just, uh, you know, exploiting the crowd. You had the uh, conspicuously absent disciples. Where were they? It said that a few of the women and John as well looking on, at least close to the cross, but all of the rest of his mates, they were gone. Totally flaked out. These were the guys who promised Jesus, we will never leave you. We'll die before denying you. And of course, when it comes right down to it, where are they? Where are James and John? The ones who say, hey, Jesus. They send their mom to Jesus. Hey, mom, ask Jesus, if he can reserve a couple of places for us, one on the right, one on the left, when his kingdom comes. And Jesus said, are you able to drink the cup that I bear? And they're like, yeah, of course. Are you able to follow me all the way to the end? Of course, Jesus, and where were they? Peace out. So you have the the mockers, the gawkers, you have the ragers, the flakers, you have the lot casters, the profiteers, the one wanting to exploit the crowds, and you have the one, the one guy who in the midst of it all thought maybe, maybe, this is my chance, my final chance. Never did a thing for the movement, probably didn't go to to church a day in his life, just before his last He says, Jesus, is there a place for me in your kingdom? And Jesus said, absolutely. Gosh, this criminal number two, the guy in sheer desperation says so much about the awesomeness of God's grace. He did nothing for the movement. And he knew it, and yet he had the audacity Uh, Perhaps the humility to reach out to Jesus and right in the middle, what do we find? We find the heart of God resounding. It says in 1 John 3.16 that this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ gave his life for us. At the very pinnacle of his life, his ministry, we find the king, our savior, pinned to a cross, being torn, and we could write a few more things up here. We could probably put the, uh, our friends here, we could put the, Brad writes over here, I'd probably be here someplace. I'd like to be here, but who knows where I may have been. And in the middle of this intense pressure, Jesus being pulled a million different ways, what do we hear? Father, forgive them. And what does he do? He's ministering to the guy who cries out for grace somehow, in this unfathomably intense moment where you would think that Jesus would just be, you know what, I've had enough. You people, you've pushed me too far. If I was him, I at least would've been thinking, all right, wrath time, people. (laughs) Call it down. And yet we see love We see love in its most graphic, vivid, undeniable, heart-wrenching form displayed on the cross. This is the heart of God right there in its most vivid form. How awesome is that? And then Jesus, he instructs his disciples. The core of his teaching is that he wouldn't just do something on our behalf, but that he would do it in such a way that we might follow. Jesus exchanged his life that we might gain new life, not so that we could just remember, but so that we could actually participate in the very life of the king himself which means when Jesus said, now if you want to follow me, take up your cross and let's go. And so the big question is then, how is our love doing as we follow our king, as we take up our cross, as we go? I've had a really, really rough week. At our pre, uh, pre-service meeting this morning, Everyone who volunteers, Um, by the way, if you'd like to sign up and help uh, serve on a team. We we actually need help across the board. I made all the coffee this morning, so if you want to join the hospitality team, we could really use some help there. Um, You can fill out a connection card. What was my point? Rough week, rough week, rough week. And I kept thinking to myself, God, I feel like the love you put into my heart is being crushed. I feel like the pressure is starting to overwhelm me. I feel like if this, is, if this is how you're meant to display your love through me, I feel like it's, it's all beginning to crumble in. And so the question is, when our love as individuals or as a church family, as followers of Jesus, is put on display, what will it look like when the stakes are high? What will it look like when the pressure is high? pressing in from every side? What will it look like? And the second question is, how on earth do we continue following Jesus in a world as crazy as ours in such a way that God's love inside us doesn't grow cold? What will the crowd see when they gather around us? Let me read this to you guys. This is John 13, 34. I won't read it, I'll paraphrase it. Jesus, um, on the eve of his crucifixion, he's met with his disciples, They've shared the Passover meal together for the last time. He's washed their feet. I mean, it's this epic climax. And then he calls his disciples to him. He brings them in, and he says, I have a new commandment to give you. Okay, this is dragon scroll moment here. You guys remember Kung Fu Panda? The whole movie, Kung Fu Panda is like trying to open the dragon scroll to see like what this secret teaching is okay this is dragon scroll moment here jesus is like come in come in i have a new commandment to give you no no closer bring it in bring it in this is gonna blow your minds you could just you could just feel feel the buildup here it is listen listen hold on someone recording this okay good love each other And I can imagine the disciples. Okay, wait, hang on. I don't think that's a new one per se. In fact, isn't that what you've been saying like for the last three years? No, 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 no. This is a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples. What kind of love is he talking about? What kind of love in a world gone mad can the crowd look at and say, "That's that's just that's that's weird. That's something else. I don't that that makes no sense." And when they disperse, they go home beating their breasts, saying, no, no, that's some, some, there's something else going on there. That, that's a love that I've never gotten close to before. That's a love that should have been crushed under the weight. I mean, this, on the cross, this is, this is like, this is Charlottesville, Portland, 1979 Greensboro, and Soweto all rolled up into one ball of like insane anger and political madness. That's the cross. And the kind of love Jesus is talking about is the kind of love that nothing in this world is great enough, dark enough, evil, or wicked enough to undo, to take away from. That's the kind of love that God pours into our hearts. This is what the scriptures say. That God pours his love into our hearts but the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. If you follow Jesus, this this is the great promise. God gives us himself, the spirit of Christ. God who is love takes up residence within our very souls. And there is nothing greater than it, than the love of God in Christ inspiring, hopefully, it's incredibly challenging because this is like what, I don't know, like maybe I missed something, maybe I, maybe I missed a Bible study because half the time I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure if that, if that love is in fact a reality in my life. So question number two, how do we keep our love from growing cold? Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 24, he said that towards the last days, Gabe led us in communion this morning. He said we, we take communion as a way of remembering what Jesus has done for us until the day he returns. I was... Uh, preaching at a Chinese church in London uh, a few years back. It was, a, it was an interesting gig. It's a full-blown Chinese church, and I was like the one white guy that they would invite to come and preach. It was totally awesome. And I remember uh, I'd been there a few times before, and I would preach. It was, it was really, really cool. And this, this, the last time I was there, this gentleman came up to me, and he looked like he'd probably been sleeping rough, um, you know, on the streets and whatnot, and uh, he had his backpack, and he had a, a small, big, but not like massive, wooden cross on his backpack, on his back, interesting guy. He comes up to me, looks me like right in the soul, <laughs> and he, he, was, he was nice, he wasn't like crazy, but he just, it was intense, he looked me right in the soul, and he said, son, Jesus is coming back. And it was the weirdest thing, because it was like, yeah, I, I know, right? Like, I've I, I read that bit, but it was like, no, 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 no. Jesus is coming back, and it just hit me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Jesus is coming back, this isn't it. This isn't done, this isn't the end of the story. This isn't the kingdom has been established in joy. No, this is, this is just the beginning. And there will come a time that Jesus described as the last days. And things will get rough, darkness will get dark, and wickedness will abound. And he says it's, it's actually possible that even my own followers that their love will begin to grow cold. This is what he said in Matthew 24. Love grown cold. That's, that, that does not encourage me at all. just doesn't. It encourages me to cling to Jesus, for sure. But it's one of these, uh, one of these promises from the Lord that's it's a bit sobering. What does it take to be a follower of Jesus in a lovely but pretty intense city. I've been reading all these, these articles about Portland. They say Portland, it's, it's basically inevitable that the political climate, the intensity, the violence, the protest, the hatred that we're seeing just kind of erupt left and right in our city, it's, it's, it's 1979 Greensboro in the making all over again. When that big clash between some protesters and the Klan and people got stabbed and died. This is what they're saying. They're saying anyone who knows anything at all about the the, the, the political history of our nation would say it's it's about to happen all over again. I hope it doesn't. But how do we keep following Jesus in the midst of madness like that? In the midst of the gawkers and the mockers and the ragers and the flakers and the lock casters, and even the guy who wants something from you. This is, the, this is the thing that blows me away, because usually when I'm having a rough week, the last thing I wanna do is minister to the person who's like, look at I, I, just, I spent pretty much my entire life uh, just blowing it and, and, and using people, and I deserve nothing from you or from God, uh, but do you think you might have time to meet, me, meet with me this week? I was like, oh, God, help me. <laughs> that is the love of God on display. No denying it. This is how Jesus loves. So what does it take to keep uh, from growing cold? Let's go to Romans Now, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we keep love from growing cold? Remember the grace of God. Point number one, most important point of all. The way we experience this kind of love has everything to do with the love of God himself. It's a gift, it's a miracle, it's humbling, it's mind melting, it's real, it's unfathomable. It is the love of God in Christ that nothing in heaven or in hell can separate us from because God's grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. It's a gift. It's something that he does. He initiates it. He sustains it. He finishes it. He opens our hearts. He gives us grace to respond to his love. He gives us grace to keep responding to his love. I'm not preaching Calvinism, I'm not preaching sovereignty, I'm preaching God really, 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 so, 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 really loves the world. His love is so powerful, so overwhelming, that nothing can separate us from it. This is, this is called the grace of God. <laughs> this is what's happening right here in that moment. He's done nothing other than just like about to die. And God says, today, you're in the family. My love is just as much for you as for anyone else. That's called grace. Number two, how do we keep our love from growing cold? Don't fear the darkness, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not driven to despair. Uh, Perplexed, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Don't fear the darkness. God specializes in causing light to shine out of dark places. Guys, this is where we're going. If you are determined to be a follower of Jesus, you know where he's taking you? You know where he's taking me? You know where he was taking the disciples? We go to the cross every time. To the cross. Where are we going today? to the cross, we're learning how to love more and more like God, sacrificial love, self-sacrificing love. The more God pours his love into our hearts, the more he wants to put his love on display through our lives, he causes light to shine out of darkness. Sometimes we think, gosh, if I'm going to maintain any sense of sanity in my life, if I'm going to hold on to, to any sort of love, that God has put into my heart, the best thing that I can do is to like protect it. Somehow like just avoid people who are going to tax me or make it difficult for me to love. And I know it's counterintuitive, but what Jesus does, he rescues us, he puts his love into our hearts, and then he sticks us in the middle of the most hard to love people you could possibly imagine. Amen, amen, or oh my! I don't know what that says about us, but this is what God does. It says a thing or two about about marriage, about family, about our co-workers. It says a thing or two about. Um, everything, about people. God wants to display his love. And the most vivid way he does that is by causing light to shine out of darkness. God who said light, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Only he's put this this love he's put this light this power in jars of clay so that people would know that the surpassing power is not from us but from God God puts his light into dark places starting with our own hearts and then he positions us to love difficult to love people because that's exactly how he loves God Guys, if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, this is like impossible to love these people. This is impossible to even be a a nice Christian in this particular environment. Don't fear the darkness. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't think that somehow God's plan for your life is derailed. It could be that you're exactly where God wants you because it's where his love is going to be displayed the most. My kids are afraid of the dark. Anyone in here afraid of the dark, like to see a raise of hands? I'm just kidding. Isn't it a weird thing, being afraid of the dark? What are we afraid of? Back in the day. I don't get it, I don't know, I have no comments on it. I think it's just weird. (laughs) How do we keep our love from growing cold? Number three. This one's practical. I want to leave this on a practical note. Keep meeting up. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, don't stop getting together. Don't forsake gathering like some have done, but keep meeting up and encouraging each other to love and good works. Guys, one of the reasons why we... Are so annoyingly intentional about doing ecclesias, our small groups, small groups, is because guys getting together is is when love happens. Love doesn't happen now. Okay? this is I guess a kind of love, but like when this is this is just a guy on stage with a microphone giving a speech. I love you guys, but. Love really happens when we sit down over a meal together and start to like get into the nitty gritty bits of life. When we actually spend time with each other in one another's homes. When, when you not being there becomes obvious because your presence is, is important. And this is important. Gathering together like this, not just for your sake but for ours. I need you, I need my church, and you need your church so that we can grow in our love. I need people in my life that force me to remember God's grace. I need people in my life that that remind me of how gracious God has been towards me. I've been a pastor, I'm I'm fairly young, but for, I don't know, a little while now, well over a decade. Um, And uh, over time, you see people start following Jesus, aspire towards following Jesus, and then for whatever reason, will kind of fall away. I don't know how, how to put it exactly, backslide. Um, face plant in the spirit and uh, and you kind of wondered like, Oh gosh, what happened? like they were so on fire, so full of god 's love and, and something something went wrong, maybe they were offended, maybe maybe uh, maybe they were let down, maybe they had unmet expectations, and then you try to do like some sort of spiritual autopsy on like what, whatever happened to that one person who had had this experience with Jesus and I don't know, they just kind of faded away. And so I've done this. I've done the spiritual autopsy over and over and over again. You try to trace it back. What went wrong? I'm telling you this, not to like keep you in my church. But the common thing that I've seen over and over again is people just like beginning to isolate, beginning to remove themselves from, from the community. They don't, they don't come along to the gathering on Sunday. They sort of just kind of faded out of the, the small group scene. They just find ways to busy themselves, and of course it's always very justifiable and that kind of stuff. Because there's so, so, something so profoundly true and powerful about the simplicity of just being together. Just being together. I was at home yesterday, my wife, my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law visiting from South Africa. Uh, I'm so sorry for being so miserable this week. It's been a rough week. Dave's looking at me like, what, like, come on. (laughs) It's been a rough week. And then uh, Raquel came over last night. And uh, something about just a sister, not that you guys don't count, my family doesn't count, but like there was like just a little spark of fellowship. One of my sisters in Jesus was in the house. And for a second, I was, it was like something happened. And I was reminded, you know what, God is, is so much bigger than my hard week. And then I come here and I see faces and people and I'm meeting new people. And, and God is present when people gather to meet with him. And the love that was starting to cool off starts to heat up again. Guys, we need each other. We need to encourage one another to keep loving, to keep working on loving each other. Are you with me? So guys, as a church community, let's not just... uh, Let's not just start well, and I say as a church community, as in Grace City, you know, a little less than one-year-old church, in diapers church. God, we're off to a great start. I love the way we love each other in this church community, Um, but we're only just beginning. We have a long road ahead of us, and I want to see that love continue to grow, continue to... To, to catch other people's hearts on fire. Can we stand together? Oh, thank you. A.W. Tozer said that to have found God and yet still pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. Scorned by the too easily satisfied religionist. There is no love in religion. There is no love in routine just going through the motions, but justified in happy experience for the children of the burning heart. Guys, when God fills our hearts with his love, something ignites on the inside. It compels us to keep running after our Father. It compels us to, to need more like, a, like some sort of love junkie. We can't get enough. It's the great paradox of love. We're gonna close in a song now, and guys, I want us just to, to reflect. If you need to receive God's love, if you would say, look, this is all this is great, good speech, well done, but I, I, I actually need to experience God's love in a very real way in my life, in my heart. And if you would say, that, that's me, um, won't you just like put your hands out like this as a, a sign of receiving? I, I want to experience this great love. I want to be overwhelmed with God's love. I want to be able to just to, to stand my ground when, when all that's wrong with the world is pressing in. I want that love to be something that's greater than all of that. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and if if you would love to experience more of that love, the love that God made possible for us through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, you lift your hands. Father, I pray that right now you you would pour out your spirit in this place, in our hearts, I pray that we would experience your love in a whole new way today, in a way that goes beyond thought, in a way that even surpasses emotion. Lord, I pray that where there's pressures in life, whether it's sickness, whether it's financial stress, whether it's having been lied to or let down, Whether it's been a dream that's just kind of waned. Lord, where the pressure seems to be too much, I pray that your love would be greater on the inside of us. Lord, pour out your love in a way that we need here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.